Well, good morning again. Get all of the good mornings. Thank you. I get, I get a response. People, are war- you warmed them up to the, the call and the response with all of that. This is, I did not think this through about the height that this was going to be at. I have not been here in like a while. So if you are relatively new or visiting with us this morning or maybe catching this online, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. I'm normally a part of the South Shore congregation, uh, but I'm so thrilled to be with you guys this morning and being able to worship with you and, and open God's word with you. Uh, and I'm even, I don't think it's been, announcements are maybe later, but I'm going to hang out even after because I think there's an engage class Evan's been inviting you guys to and Stephen, and so I'll be with you in there and I hope to get to know some of you guys better if you guys stay for that. It is open to all. All right, so we are quite a ways into the sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. I would invite you, if you have a Bible or a Bible phone app, to open it in chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be today. Uh, Mark, as you may have noticed, moves very, very quickly. He's, it's fast, the way that he goes through uh, the gospel. So far, we've seen Jesus be baptized into his ministry, tempted in the desert. He's picked out his disciples, and he's begun his ministry. And he's, he begins, Mark doesn't really give us a lot of insight into, like, Jesus's teaching. He doesn't give us his teaching directly. He says he's doing a lot of teaching in Galilee and in, in Capernaum and makes reference to that. But Jesus is, is mainly doing we're seeing miracles happening. We're seeing Jesus uh, doing deliverance ministry and healing ministry, which is to say he's, he's uh, freeing people from demonic oppression. He's causing the lame to walk. Finally, I think it's in chapter four, we, we start to get some actual teaching up to this point. He's just really answering questions like, what about fasting? What about, what about Sabbath? What about, are you working with Satan? Is that how you're doing all of this power over demons. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. No, I'm not. And, but finally we get to some parables and then it's like actual teaching from Jesus. You guys remember the parable, the sower and the seed, the lamp basket combo, the, the mustard seed, all of these things are starting to come out, but then it's back into display of his power. More miracles, calms the storm. Uh, he, 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 uh, causes the, the healing by um, distance. He frees that guy from the legion of demons. The woman with the bleeding touches the hem of his robe and she's healed by faith. And finally, he even raises a little girl from the dead. Just exceedingly, uh, exceeding displays of his power. And the reason this is happening is because Jesus' ability to do these things is giving a stamp of authority, a mark of authority on his teaching. Any of you guys could just leave this building to go out and like teach anything you want, right? Last week or a couple weeks ago, I came, left the office and came out, and there were people who were street preaching, which was cool to see. They, were pre- they appeared to be preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus, but when Jesus was doing it, he was doing it with power, and that showed that God the Father was affirming his ministry, that, that it was giving approval of it. And then he sends out his disciples with that same power, to go out into the towns and the villages and extend the reach of his ministry. And, and they begin to see the same power begin to move through them, that they're able to do some of the things that Jesus had been doing. So then that gets us to last week. And last week we saw John the Baptist. He was beheaded. Other gospel accounts show us that before he died, he was in prison. He's a lot of time to think. And he's wondering, like, is Jesus the guy? You know, he starts to have, like, doubts in the darkness. And he sends his disciples to go and ask Jesus, like, are you the one? Like, did I just, like, totally screw up? And Jesus doesn't point to his teaching. He points to his 
works, his miracles, as authentic, like authenticating who he is, that he is the Christ. And that comes back to John. So then John is beheaded, he dies, and then we get like one little verse showing the disciples returning from their mission, telling Jesus everything that happened, everything that went through. And that gets us to partway through chapter 6, uh, picking up in verse 31, and just going through the end of the chapter, what Stephen read for us uh, a moment ago. And you can see that like as things are going already, things are kind of blowing up for Jesus in his ministry. It's getting crazy. It's not clean and easy. It's getting like messy and hard. Uh, and, and we enter into this at a point where they're all like back from their like little short-term mission trip where they were sent out with like nothing. It's like, go be homeless for a while and see what happens. And so they come back and they're excited, but probably tired. And at the same time, in the midst of this, we see that things are so crazy. There are so many needy people around them, even as they're doing like their like debrief, that there isn't even time to eat. That's how crazy things are in this moment. And so Jesus, exhibiting emotionally healthy spirituality, if you were here when we read that book, like he calls them away into a time of rest. He calls them away, like, come spend time with me, come spend time with the Father. Jesus and the disciples, they're humans, human beings. They need the rest and relaxation. So he's pulling them away into this, but it does not go as planned. Um, so we're, that's where we're going to dig in and start with this morning. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we will get to work on this. Jesus, it is just a joy to be with your church this morning. Uh, we ask that you would send uh, your spirit, spirit, we ask that you would be here and that you would rule over this space. Cause every distraction to be peeled away, that hard uh, hearts would be uh, made soft, uh, that even this morning that you would speak to us um, above and beyond what has been spoken through your word or what you choose to uh, bring forward through the message this morning, but even that you would give words to your people, uh, that you would speak um, prophetically uh, through us, that we would minister to one another this morning. We ask that you would do this, uh, that we would glorify your name, say that, that your name is above all other names. We ask that you would do this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so they've come back. Things are insane. We're going to jump in back in verse 31. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw and recognized him, and they ran there on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, This is the desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? This is like 25 grand in like our money, at least. So, and they said, you know, we don't have this. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And they commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So he sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. And they, they tended to count the men, but certainly women and children were there. So picture like maybe double that. It was a lot, a lot of people. 
So they have a good plan. They're going to go get some rest. They're tired. They get into the boat. They're going to go. And, but then somehow people manage to actually physically run. I don't know if you ever know how like a circle works, like the circumference versus like the cross part is shorter. They're going across the lake. It should be faster. And yet people are able to run all the way around the edge and beat them there. Uh, it was, uh, it was, they were not going very fast. And you, you can't blame the people. They see Jesus, they're running to him. If you see Jesus, you should run to him. Author and perfecter of life, only way to the Father. They're doing the right thing by running to them, but it is really throwing a wrench into their plans to have some time off. They, they arrive and they're just inundated. I'm super introverted. I'm very task-oriented. So I like being with people, but it also makes me tired. And I have like deep emotional feelings about this scene where they pull up in the boat and there's just like, you know burning man happening out on the on the on the on the shore and like so if you're introverted you're thinking like rowing the boat back out to sea like nope the sea will be my safe space um but jesus doesn't do this he has compassion on the people and he engages with them for like a really long time and eventually it becomes really late in the day and they have they still like probably haven't eaten anything unless they had like boat snacks and so now this has been compounded by the fact that like everyone who ran out to this like festival in the desert is like they didn't think to bring food they were so excited so now you have this this massive situation it's like burning man without food or like they forgot to order porta potties it's just this huge mess uh logistical nightmare and and this happens in real life i like that mark shows us that this ministry was messy. It wasn't perfect. They're trying to plan like a nice like staff retreat and you get there and somehow like all the surrounding city has, has come in. God, God rescues us from our sin and our brokenness, but he does not shield us from the brokenness of the world and the inconvenience and decay of living in this space. Um, example, uh, my wife, Severine, and I went away to Quebec City um, earlier this week for a couple days to celebrate our 19th wedding anniversary. And, well, don't cheer because we, it's tech, we're cheating. It's in August. So we're, we're a little, I know, I know. We got it going a little bit ahead. Problem is, is in August we go camping. It's not romantic. And in, in the summer, in July, for many years, there was this one week where all three of our kids would be at summer camp at the same time. It was awesome. We're like free babysitting. And we, we kind of got in the habit of celebrating our anniversary early. But I accept your cheers. Thank you, Evan. Um, and uh, we've also made it a tradition that we will spend a day at one of these Scandinavian spa things that like Quebec is like mildly famous for. They're just sprinkled all over the place. Who's been to one of these before? Oh, man. Okay, so right now you guys are thinking, Brian's going to a spa. You're picturing me, my nails and hair being done for 12 hours. Let me put that image out of your mind. This is Scandinavian spa. It's filled with fire and ice and suffering. Okay, it's awesome. Uh, if you do it right, you go into a hot thing, like a sauna. You stay till almost dead. And then you stumble to like a cold thing, like a snowbank or a cold plunge or a river or something. And you go in there and you flash change uh, 50 degrees, and your nervous system basically shuts off. It's like when your computer's frozen, you're like, ah, you just pull the plug. Then you experience this in your body, and then you like find like a hammock or something in the woods, and you lay there, and you conk out or read a book or pray to Jesus. It's, it's really great. And you do this a bunch of times until you turn to butter. So I, I love doing this now. And um, this particular we went to outside Quebec City, we'd never been to before, it's called Siberia Station. It's like more of a Russian theme. And, uh, and they, I was so excited because they had an infrared sauna. And I, like, apparently, longitudinal studies have shown infrared therapy 
is capable of reducing all causes of mortality by like 50%. 50%. That's amazing stewardship of your body. I'm thinking of putting one of these in my house. But uh, I never got to try one before. And so I'm super excited. We go in this like hobbit house thing that's like buried in the ground. You like open a wooden door. You go in there. It's all dark. And it indeed was effective in making a hot environment, these lamps up on the ceiling. I could feel my causes of mortality receding in my body by some percentage. And, but I'm supposed to be relaxing, right? This is R&R with the wife, trying to relax. But then I get distracted by this thing. This is partly my personality, but I see this little line over in the corner by the door, and I'm like, that doesn't look right. And I get up, and I go over and look, and it's this, like, wicked inch of, like, a headless nail sticking up out of this board, not in the path, but, like, right under the bench. And everybody's doing this, like, barefoot, soft sandals, and I'm just thinking about that nail. Man, like, that is a serious medical liability for the patrons. It's a financial and legal liability for the spa. And I'm like cold plunge going, I'm in a hammock, and I'm just trying to read my Steve Jobs book, and I'm just thinking about that nail. You're not supposed to talk while you're these places. And I'm whispering to Severine about it. I'm like, we got to tell somebody about that nail. Just like my personality latches onto these things. And I'm like this at home, too. I'm very fun to live with. Like, why is this out? Why isn't it where it goes. So um, even though like I'm in this space, this is like Disneyland of fire and ice, I'm still like fixated on this one little thing because no matter how hard Siberia Station tries to create an environment where you don't think about the cares of the world, stuff's still broken. Real life still intrudes. And, and this is very true even here uh, for Jesus in this moment. There's all of these logistical uh, problems. And And so that's what I focus on when I see this passage. I'm like, no time to eat? Who's in charge of the schedule? Insufficient transportation velocity across the lake? You can't even beat some people on foot? It doesn't make any sense to me. It it bothers me deeply. And then no one thinks to bring any food. This affects when you are the church, when we do ministry. Who watched the broadcast at some point have seen what's happening over the camera? None of you have watched the broadcast? Come on. Don't fall asleep on me. Yeah, I know Dwight's watched it. Okay, you watch the broadcast, you know this affects our ministry. Sometimes the platform breaks or the sound is all weird and echoey and we're like trying to figure out why and fix it and like Evans gets the sweats just thinking about it. Like there might be something going wrong with the broadcast right now and I'm just blissfully unaware. Don't tell me if there is. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's just real, real, and those aren't even real problems. There are real problems that happen. People um, have suddenly get diagnosed with terrible things and you're like, you're praying for them or your neighbors come over to you and there's issues like real ministry is messy and is hard. And God does not shield us from that. But we see there is power to overcome these things. Now, my first point this morning, I want you guys to latch on to, I can see some of you taking notes, uh, is that being alive comes with problems. Being alive comes with problems. And in seeing this in Jesus' ministry that he was very, very human. If you have been, like, theologically speaking, the hypostatic union, God is, Jesus is fully God and fully man, right? And so a lot of people who are outside the church be like, they don't think about the divinity part so much. They're like, yeah, he was this bearded guy, right? But then as you walk with Jesus and you're in the church and you're engaging with him, the divinity starts to get bigger and Jesus' humanity gets smaller and you start to distance yourself from Jesus, So that you're like, well, I'm just a person, but that was Jesus. And Jesus starts going up. But what Mark is helping us see here is is that Jesus is really just like us. He gets tired. He gets people tired. He gets hungry. He has needs. Hebrews 
The author of Hebrews talks about this in chapter 2, verse 17. It said, therefore he, God the Son, had to be made like his brothers, human beings, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. If God the Son was going to stand as a representative for humanity, he had to become human. We, we read in the confession that Jesus came as a baby, completely helpless. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched The Chosen at all, but there's this particular episode where, you know, it's all extra biblical speculation, but like Jesus's mom is like, I had him and was underwhelmed. He was like needy. I had to wipe the birthing blood off of him. He couldn't do it himself, even though he was godlike. She just, she expected I don't know, floating, levitating, baby Jesus, glowing clean, and he was just crying and pooping himself. Uh, Jesus was very human. And so Jesus, as he did this ministry, and as we see him do works of power, he's not doing them because he's God the Son made flesh. He gave up the divine lifestyle completely. He didn't have access to any of those powers. He's very, had a human experience like we did, and yet we saw at his baptism uh, God the Spirit come on him in power and begin to empower him for ministry. And that we have that same gifting by the Spirit. That we have access to the same power that Jesus does. It really puts us on the same level. And you're like, I can't do the things that Jesus did. I'm like, you can. But there are mental limitations to our perspective of the way things are with Jesus. And we all, we feel, I mean, everybody has days where you feel strong, uh, but a lot of times we feel weak. We don't feel sufficient for the task. And Jesus probably felt some of that same insufficiency. Jesus was always super clear about his purpose and what he was doing, but that he still wrestled in the ways that we wrestled. Not with sin, as he never sinned. He didn't have to deal with the consequences that we do, like when we have uh, the consequences of sin on our life, other than going to the cross and facing all of our sin's consequences. So he didn't wrestle with that, but he, in every other way, he was like us and wrestled with these things. And yet by the power of the Spirit that indwelt him perfectly, he was able to overcome all of these things. So much so that like they pull up in the boat, he's tired, and yet the Spirit gives him the ability to continue to minister to the people. And not just inside him, but then the the power goes beyond to even meet the needs of the people and just being able to feed them, just to be able to meet their physical needs. So second point this morning is that Jesus gives his followers the same miraculous power that imbued his ministry. He gives it to his followers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to that. You have everything that you need. It's been supplied for you by the power of the Spirit just to overcome all of like the little challenges that life throws at us in life and in ministry. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Pisidia, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. And I love this. It's like, okay, reset. Like, again, let's try to get away. For some reason, it was like the same plan, take a boat. 
Uh, but this time Jesus was like, okay, like you guys go and I'll stay here and the crowd will stay with me. And once you're safely away, I'll send the crowd away. And then Jesus hustles up a mountain to fight to get some time alone with God, which is probably what he intended before with their first boat trip. And it didn't happen. He had to fight hard to make it happen. And then they're in the water and the boat was slow before. This is obvious. People ran faster than the boat. But now the boat is making zero progress in the water. And Jesus is like, I'll just walk. Thank you. And he's cutting across the water. But he's not sneaky enough, and they see him. It says he meant to pass them by, um, but they saw him. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So he gets in, the storm stops, they're astounded. This is ridiculous. Why? Because they've already seen him stop a storm before, right? They already, he's done this before. And they're, they're like, you know, sitting in there in the boat. Jesus ensured, and if you notice this, how many baskets of food were left over? Twelve, like one for each of them, little doggy bag, little takeout for each of them. They're in the boat. They're like, I can't believe this actually happened. While they're eating magic bread and fish that was made out of nothing. It's like, how can you, they didn't understand about the loaves. They're snacking on it because Dwight's always saying the disciples are probably teenagers. And I have three teenagers constantly eating all the time. So Jesus' disciples, and they hadn't eaten in a while. So they're probably stuffing their face in the boat being like, what just happened? This is something, this is what people do. Something miraculous happens, and you're amazed. But then time goes by, and you begin to explain it away, right? The disciples are like, well, you know, Jesus got in the boat, and he woke up, and it's, the storm stopped. But it was probably a coincidence, you know? It's the same thing we do, like many modern people will look at this and say, oh, he fed 10,000 people with loaves and fishes. No. When they asked if people had loaves and fishes, who has food to share? And everyone's like, I don't have any food. It's like under their coat. And then when Jesus offers up these little fish, everyone's like, oh, okay. And like got generous because of Jesus's example. This is the kind of like revisionist thing. There's no historical support for that idea. And yet we're more comfortable with that idea because it removes the power of Jesus, which is the stamp of authority on his teaching. And his teaching extends authority over you and I. Jesus claims a kingship and lordship over you and I. And so if he's able to do these things, then his claims are true. And part of our heart hates that, the rebellious bit. And so we try to explain away his power so that we don't have to deal with his authority over our lives. And this is what the disciples are, are struggling with. Even though they have a front row seat to this, they're struggling. Their hearts are being hardened. Now, what does that mean? Like the Bible talks about this in a few places that would make reference to people's hearts being hard. Um, sometimes you will see it where people begin to understand, they begin to believe, they begin to know, but then the rebellious part of their heart comes up and begins to deny because they don't like where it's going. They don't like what it, what it, what it means, what the implications for their life, and they harden their heart. Sometimes we see God reaching in to harden someone's heart sovereignly for his own purposes, usually in the context where they've already demonstrated a hardness of heart. Think of like Pharaoh in Exodus where God's like hitting Egypt with the plagues, right? And he's like, oh, you can go. No, you can't go. Oh, you can go. No, you can't go. And, and his heart is like wrestling. And, and you see sometimes it says he hardened his heart, but then other times you see that God hardened his heart for his sovereign purposes. And so this is that kind of this idea that like 
people's hearts are kind of like stone, and that, but, but God is able to come and give us a heart of flesh. And so this is the struggle that the disciples are having. They're hardening their hearts. They're not wanting to, they're not willing to engage with Jesus's lordship and to acknowledge this. Um, Jordan Peterson, you guys know who this is, 12 Rules for Life. He was like a professor in Toronto, I think, and now he's very political, so I don't know if he's teaching anymore, but 12 Rules for Life, 12 More Rules for Life, his newer book, and he does work in areas of like meta-narratives inside Western society, kind of finding like the spiritual, like his first book was called Maps of Meaning, and how within Western culture, which is rooted in Judeo-Christian uh, history in, in, in really in the Bible is sort of a founding document of Western culture that we all sort of like live in, um, that there's these archetypes, there's these ideas that, that give meaning to our lives even if we don't acknowledge the authority of the Bible. And so he sees this world of like the meta-narrative world as kind of the spiritual things that just sort of are persistent in human beings, that they persist in having these ideas. But then there's also the like real world, the objective, verifiable world around us. And he was talking about how those two worlds, that sort of the Narnian world and the real world like touch at a certain point. And he was doing this interview on YouTube. uh, I think it came out last year. And he's discussing this idea. And I'll just quote him. He says, the narrative world, like the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that is supposed to be Christ. And that seems oddly plausible. I don't know what to make of it, partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. And he's saying this in the interview. Watch, he's got like tears in his eyes. You can see him wrestling with unhardening his heart to Jesus and the reality of his authority and lordship. But he's looking at it very clear-eyed, and he's like, if this is real, if the, if the ethereal touches the, the physical world in the person of Jesus, like, he is authentically wrestling with, like, this changes everything. God touched down in Jesus, the implications of this. And so you can see, like, he's, he hardens his heart against it. It's too Scary. The intellectually honest pursuit of the historical Jesus leads to this kind of conflict because of what he said and did. And we see this with his own disciples and, and struggling. So third point this morning, really accepting who Jesus is and all of his power and authority is scary because it also means acknowledging his claim on your life. And maybe as we discuss this, as you search your own heart, you might find areas of hardening in your own heart. As you, as you press into this, you may sense that. And you may even desire, like, ah, I, I don't even want this hardness of heart that I feel inside me, but I feel powerless to change it. And that's biblically accurate and true. You are powerless to change your own heart. And yet what is hard for us is easy for God. Um, you should know this verse, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God that the The work that Jesus does in the world and in people's hearts is received as a gift. You open yourself to receive a gift. It's awkward when you don't want a gift. Someone's trying to give you something. You're like, nope, not going to take it. You know, I don't want it. But if you're willing to receive it, you have an open posture like, I want a softer heart. He will give it to us as a gift. And it's not all at once sometimes. There's a sense of like peeling down almost like layers 
of, 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 of softening that happens if you, as he softens a bit of your heart, if you, you can reharden it or you can give it to him and then he'll take another layer and another layer. If you guys are familiar with like the Chronicles of Narnia, they always stop short of like making enough of the movies. I can't remember if this one got made in a movie where they got Eustace or whatever gets sleeps on the dragon gold and turns into a dragon. Was it in the movie? No? Okay, well, he's, he wakes up a dragon. It's a metaphor for, you know, hardness of heart. And he begins clawing scales off, and he can't get deep enough. But Jesus' figure in Aslan comes, puts his lion paw all the way down in deeper than he thought. You know, when you do, like, self-surgery, you're like, I've gone too deep. Like, he goes in really deep, and he, like, pulls off everything and exposes the boy again in the way that only Jesus is able The prophet Jeremiah, uh, chapter 29, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So there's this reciprocal thing that happens. God is only able, only God is able to change your heart, but he, in certain way, won't impose the change on you if you're not open to receive it. And so like a dead person, just flopping open your arms, be like, help me. That's your, that's your initial posture, is just asking for the Lord to work. And then the gift of faith and softness of heart is given to those who seek. Sadly, though, in North American Christianity, we're getting past this, but for many, many years, particularly, you know, growing up in like a Baptist church, you have this sense of like, Jesus gives you a new heart, check, now we go forward. That was then, now we're just going forward. I don't need that process anymore, it's done. That was the... That was the starting gunshot, and now I'm off. I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. And that's not accurate at all, is it? There's, it's a lifelong process of God claiming more and more real estate. There's a story talked about, like, if your heart was a house and Jesus came over, and he's, like, going out of the whole house. And you're like, whoa, 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 don't go in there. You know, and he's like, well, what's in there? I want to talk about what's in your closet. I'm like, no, no, we'll get to that. You know, it's a long process of renovation. It's a, it's a, it's a thing, and that requires connecting with God on a regular basis. And so we see even Jesus in his humanity, though his heart was pure, he was going back to the Father regularly. He wasn't just like, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, but he would go back to be with the Father, to love God as well. Um, and, And he fights to get this because it's not easy. People are always bothering Jesus with their problems. And so he has to get away. Usually just climbs, Jesus was like, He would just be willing to climb higher on the mountain than anyone was willing to follow him. They're like, we're past the tree line. I'll wait till he comes down. And uh, so point number four this morning is even after you've given your heart to God, you still have to fight to be with him and to spend time with him. You need to continue to fight to find time to be with him. Life includes so many wonderful distractions, right? If you're in school, you got homework or you're working and you've got, you know, you're volunteering and you've got chores and city group, change group, probably should be exercising, you're on social media, you're watching Netflix, all good things. Maybe not social media is not a good thing, but like mostly good things, even Sunday morning, took you time to get here, you're brushing your hair, like this all takes time. But for you to be alone with the Father, to be with God, you've got to fight to give yourself those times. And it's easy to, as a Christian sometimes, to justify uh, not spending time with God because you're so busy doing ministry. This is really, I'm task, and again, introverted, task-oriented. This is easy. This is a big blind spot for me. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like working for God. I'm even working with God. God's like, let's just chill. I'm like, but what are we going to be doing? He's like, chilling. I'm like, 
all right, you know, I've got 20 minutes, you know, like it's, it's bad. And so I, I fall into this. Um, I say like God isn't on speed dial. Uh, the bread of life is not fast food and you can't treat God like a microwave. I'm like, I just need a little zap, you know. Now you should be praying, engaging with the Lord continuously throughout the day, you know, kind of like Facebook status update prayers like Nehemiah does. Is he building the wall? Help me, oh Lord, you know, and then he's back to building the wall. Uh, 140 character prayers. That's good. But if that is the sum total of your relationship with God, that's not good because your relationship with God is a serious relationship, like a marriage type relationship. Can you imagine a marriage where like all of the interaction is through social media? That is a pretty weak, thin marriage. No, like marriage takes deep time, date nights, anniversaries, at Scandinavian spas, like you've got to invest in your marriage. And that's the kind of relationship with, with God. It requires pursuit and cultivation and allowing God to pursue us. And I, I don't want you to think that the way I'm describing it is like, well, God's unavailable unless you're really willing to put in time. He is there, but he's not like an ATM. He's not like a genie servant. Like, I have a few minutes over here now. You know, like, that's, he's God of the universe. So they say, somebody was saying like, you know, the Holy Spirit came down as a dove. That is the theologically, biblically accurate thing. But he seems to be more like a wild turkey. Where is he? He's in the brushes. Oh, let's go. He's gone. Where'd he go? You know, it's like the, the Spirit is wild and free in ways that will probably find initially disconcerting. I'm sure heaven has an orientation day and they're like, so I know you saw these videos and Bible Project or like Superbook when you were a kid. Just put that out of your mind. If you're about to meet God, it's going to be crazy. Um, so not to say that our, our deep times with him aren't for lack of him showing up, but it's important that we have those because that is where not only our heart is changed, but we gain access to that same miraculous power that, that Jesus moved and ministered in, that he gave to his disciples, that he gives to us, but there's like a volume on it. And, and in order to experience more of the Spirit's power in your life, you have to be with the Father. You know, Moses was like with the Father so much that he came down and he was like glowing and freaked people out. Duration matters. Proximity matters. There's a volume on what the Holy Spirit will, will do in your life. So fifth point this morning. I know you guys are like three, maybe four, not five points, but this is the last one I'll make you write down. But I'll do a bunch of like other ones I won't even draw attention to, so bonus ones. But when you spend time with the Father, you experience this miraculous power in increased measure. That this is, it's not just for transformation, but it's also for power, for ministry. And then when you do that, apparently more and more anything is possible. I, I really believe this. Like, you know, walking on water um, is, is possible. So going back to our passage, um, Jesus is now back in the boat. The wind is gone. They're making better time. They finally land. This is our last section of Scripture, verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and more to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds, wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many touched it were made well. Right back at it. And it's just relentless. Uh, the needs of the people. Uh, they might have managed to lose that other crowd, but now there's this new crowd. And Jesus said, look, the poor are always going to be with you. Right, we're, we're not going to solve that. Like, not until Jesus comes back and finishes installing his kingdom and removes all poverty, all sickness, 
all death wipes away every tear, but until then, there's going to continue to be needy, uh, broken situations. And so there's always going to be work to do as ministers of the gospel. There's always going to be work to do. If you follow Jesus, it's hard work. There's going to be work. You're not doing it to earn his love, but because he loves you, you love him, you do it joyfully. There's always going to be work. And even though it's messy and costly and hard, Jesus' example here of in his humanity still working through the power of the Spirit and the strength and, the, and just the peace, the peacefulness with which Jesus moves through incredibly difficult situations. We get harder and harder and hardest to the point where he's you know, sweating blood. Like it's, he just moves through it with such a peaceness and a quiet strength because of the power of the Spirit. And so we have a lot to learn. From, I have a lot to learn from this. Not to get hung up on little problems or like when things change, I don't like change, and, but to just be able to, in the power of the Spirit, roll with the punches and minister out of that strength and peace that the Spirit provides, which I gain by spending increasing amounts of time with the Father with an open and soft heart. And if we do that, the power that we have access to, you can walk this earth like the immortal that you really are and that you will, you, you're just able to just burst through challenges. And we just, we don't even tap into that. It's really, I'm sure the angels are like, you know, just disgusted. You're like, this was the plan. They don't even know. Um, and yet it's, it's there for us. It's so easy for God to supply all we need. When we first moved here in 2010 for church planting, things were really, really hard. God was like so clear, like, don't raise support, you know, like, just go. And I was like, but money and food. And he's like, just go. I'm like, okay, authority. And we got here. And then like after a month, it was like, no money left, rent's coming due. And like, no kidding, like in our file box, we found like six, seven hundred dollars just I don't know. To this day, we have no idea where it came from. Maybe a 20 was in there and God like multiplied it with like loaves and fishes. And we paid our rent to like, you know, our friends who are neighbors who knew we were there for Jesus, but they didn't believe in Jesus. We're like, Jesus paid our rent. And they're like, amazing. You know, like, that's really cool. It's going to rain. They said it will rain sideways to get to us. Like it'll go around you guys and get us. Um, good times. Like it's easy for the Lord to, to, to do this. Um, the big idea this is not a point. This is a broad broad idea. The big idea I want you to take away from this morning is that God is able to supply all we need for life and mission if we seek his face with unhardened hearts. He's able to supply everything. And if you are under the age of 80, and I would say probably everyone in this room is, you are enjoying the most uncertain time of your life. The last year and a half, nothing has been going right. Things have been, this is like the worst time that you've ever had. And it may get worse before it gets better. I know things are okay right now, but it could get worse. Um, many parts of the world, it is very worse. There's food scarcity issues, and, but God is able to provide food. Easy. Parts of Germany are flooding so badly right now that hundreds of people have just like died or are missing. And yet God is able to calm the storm. Easy. Travel restrictions have made it really hard for us to get to where we want to go or where God is leading us to go. And yet, if need be, you could just walk across the water to get there. You don't have to go through customs. You can just sneak across the water. Or better yet, be teleported the way he teleported uh, Philip because God is able. Yeah, I mean, why not? Amen. These things are really easy for him. And he is looking throughout the earth 
to see who is interested in being a vessel for his glory, that he might do glorious things in you and through you, despite your weakness, despite your humanness, um, the hardness of heart, or even all the logistical problems we face, that the city would see and give glory to God and declare, great is the Lord. The God of Abraham is worthy of praise. Great is his name in all the earth. That is what the Lord is interested, the greatness of his name, and he wants to do it through us. Will you be that vessel? We are in dark times, but dark times mean that God's glory can shine all the brighter. So fear not. Lean into whatever God's calling is on your life. His, his, his yoke is still light. This is exciting to be a part of, to have access to this, uh, which, is, which is the Spirit's freely available to everybody who would call on Jesus as Savior, King, and Treasure. And if you haven't done that, you're like, this is a lot coming at me right now. Uh, it's just inviting Jesus to rescue you from your sin and your brokenness. You repent from your sin. You say, you do that sort of like dead body thing, be like, help me. And Jesus comes in and changes your heart and changes your life. And then seek his face, you will be found. Sit with him and be gifted with this miraculous power. Let's pray. Jesus, we want this. We want so much more than what we're getting. And I know we say we want it, and then on some level, if we got it, we would probably, our hearts would be distracted we would not want it or be proud. And you know our hearts better than we do. So we ask that you would change our hearts. Cause our hearts to want this as much as our minds uh, do. Cause our hearts to be um, broken afresh this morning as we worship you. Spirit, we ask that you would do this work as only you are able. That you would reach into each of our hearts. That those who are here who need rescue, that you would rescue them. For those of us who have allowed our hearts to grow cold, that you would warm them. We've allowed our hearts to gain um, parts that, that, aren't, that you're not allowed to enter, that you would, you would open those doors and that you would free us. And we ask for your power, Lord. It is brutal um, doing worship in the last year and a half um, to try to gather for city group, to try to minister when we're not allowed to do so many things. Lord, we ask for your, your mercy and your peace and your strength. And, and we ask that you would do these things in and through us so that you would get the glory that you have just stripped us down to nothing so that we, we get to claim nothing. You get all the glory. Make your name great, Lord. Do it again as you've done it before. Make your name great in this city. We ask that you would do this. In your name, amen.